Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, we are going to talk about our next sermon series, The Book of Habakkuk. What's the context of this book? What's the main idea of this book? Why did we pick this book? You know, all of those questions that come along with the sermon series. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. My name is Joseph Donifro, and I am here with... Cole Decky. And Andrew Self. So it's good to be it's good to be with you guys. I mean, besides the fact that we just spent the last hour trying to figure out recording stuff and didn't figure it out. Um, but how was uh, how was holiday season for you guys? Highs, lows? It was great. Good season. Um, amidst the craziness of life, but uh, for me, I think that ultimately it was a, a fun run at. The first time being in the worship leading position doing Advent and mm-hmm. leading songs, it was very exciting for me. I really enjoyed that a lot. And um, yeah, I think uh, I think overall it was coming in hot and ready and then uh, exiting with a lot of joy, looking forward to the next season at church. So, Hey, what'd you think of our Christmas Eve service, dude? Oh, it was fantastic. I could <laughs> sing in that building forever and be totally content. <laughs> it was pretty fun, man. Oh, man, it was so great. Uh, Self, how about you, bro? Well, first of all, it's the Christmas season, not the holiday season, you pagan. Oh. I got to keep the Christ in Christmas, baby. That's right. <laughs> um, Christ in coal. <laughs> it was good. This was the first year that we've lived in Iowa that we haven't traveled to Texas for either Thanksgiving or Christmas. And that was mainly because we have a four month old and 13 hour drives are not fun with a four month old. So we didn't do that. So it was, it was fun. It was nice and quiet for us uh, for Christmas. And then uh, my in-laws came, came up for a few days after Christmas was over. So that was a lot of fun. Kids got two Christmases basically. So yeah, it was good, man. First Christmas as a family of five. So that was that was fun. Sweet, dude. Rock and roll. Yeah, you guys traveled all over Iowa. <laughs> yeah, we spent so much time on the road. We we went to my hometown for Christmas, which isn't too far away. It's like 90 minutes. Um, but we also went to Chloe's hometown for Christmas, which is more like three and a half hours away. But the kicker was that for New Year's Eve, we wanted to go party with some friends of ours who church planted over in the Quad Cities. So that was like, you know, another two and a half hours, or I guess it, it iced over on New Year's Day over in the Quad Cities. So it was more like three and a half hours driving back. So it was a lot of time on the road when we were debating whether or not we wanted to do an extra, you know, five hour round trip to Davenport, though, we were like, hey. We're uh, we're in the middle of Harry Potter on audio, so we get to read a little bit more of that on the road. <laughs> Heathen. <laughs> did, you, did you guys have? A fa- did you get a favorite Christmas present? I don't know if, as grown men, do you guys still get Christmas presents? One hundred percent. And usually, it's uh, usually it's 
you know, the little things watching the kids actually get their presents and like being able to play with those with them. So yeah, yeah. That is pretty awesome. That's pretty, that's pretty great. But I did get a pair of shoes that I've been wanting for a year since last Christmas, actually. They're pretty dope too. The A6 so, Tigers, yeah. big fan. So the anticipation for a whole year was <laughs> well, well, um, well warranted once I opened those. So mm. Mm. I like. It's all about the vintage athletic look of yeah. those gray shoes. I like them, man. It makes me feel less like an older man. I know I'm a young. I know I'm a young, like thirty year old, but I still. It makes me feel younger than thirty. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. I thought you were gonna say a new pair of swimming trunks or yeah. something like that. Yeah, no, no. Speedos are not there yet for me. So, oh gosh. <laughs> Self, what about you, man? Did you. Get a favorite Christmas present this holiday season. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got a pair of shoes, too. Like my mother-in-law, she's all about Christmas gift buying. And so she like gets after me. I'm like, what do you want? What do you want? I, was, I don't I don't know. So I had to send her a link to for a pair of Vans. And then my parents just, they just kind of buy me whatever because mm-hmm. they know I'm going to tell them the same thing. So they just skip that awkward conversation and, you know, heckling me nagging me to tell them what I want for Christmas. So they just buy me stuff, but yeah, got some, got some vans. But what, what about you? It's all about the books for me, man. Uh, um, I mean, I got like a really, really good beer from my in-laws, which was great. It was a barrel aged surly darkness. It was a variation on it. It had like chili peppers in it and extra chocolate and vanilla beans. So that was awesome. Um, but for me, it's all about the books. I got uh, Deep Exegesis by Peter Lightheart, which should be a trip. Got the new Marilyn Robinson book, Jack, which just dropped like a month ago. But get this, um, one of the main characters in it, her her name is Della, and she's a preacher's daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you can like literally, I'm not making that up. It's right there. Um, but like we, obviously this was, it, it didn't inspire us naming Della. This came afterwards. So I got... Got that. I'm pretty excited about those. And then got a couple other junk food books. A couple commentaries for Habakkuk. There you go. So I'm psyched. I'm psyched. Yeah. What'd you what'd you think about the Christmas Eve service? Oh, it's fun, man. I, I loved it. It was their second Christmas Eve service for us as a church. So that was a lot of fun. It was cool to be in a change of venue with no setup because that, that bad boy had pews, so we didn't have to set up chairs or any of that sort of stuff. So it was really, mm-hmm. you know, refreshing. Mm-hmm. Other than it feeling like negative eighteen degrees, yeah, yep, that was that was unpleasant. But <laughs> got to worship harder, man. <laughs> that's, that's right. Got to break a sweat. Yeah, but we also got to do the uh, Christmas Eve in your front yard stuff that we would hit a visited a few houses of church members. Oh, dude, that was such a highlight yeah, for me, that man. Was that was a lot of fun. Again, it was very cold, but it was a lot of fun being able to go knock on people's doors and sing Christmas hymns and you gave a little 60 second homily and um, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. It was pretty close to 60 seconds. Too. It was. It probably wasn't. It was maybe a little closer to two minutes, but it was pretty but faithful. You get the gist. It wasn't like the reformed move of like, I'm going to preach for 15 minutes and then 45. Yeah. It was close to 60 seconds. No. No. That's right. Not like a Luke Snowden sermon. <laughs> okay, let's jump into Habakkuk, guys. How do you guys feel about spending 10 weeks in the book of Habakkuk? I want more than 10, but I'll settle for 10. Mm. I'm excited. I'm excited to get back into uh, um, an expositional series, so this will be fun. 
And I love the Old Testament, and I think our church responds really well when we dig into the Old Testament and, mm-hmm. and see how you know Christ is the end of the Old Testament, pointing to Him and and foreshadowing Him. So, um, because we it turns out we're not too different than the uh, ancient believers and followers of God. For real, dude. What about you, Don? Do you kind of feel the same way? You're like, are you like ten weeks in this kind of obscure minor prophet book, or are you like ten weeks in Habakkuk? Um, super stoked. I'm I'm excited because I don't know a lot about the book, mm-hmm. con like context or anything. I mean, I I, I kind of have an idea just by listening to it and reading it. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm so I'm so excited. I it's something. It's like a book like I wouldn't have normally like. Well, maybe that's not true because it's a short mm-hmm. book. So maybe I would have like been drawn to it because I'm like, oh. A book I can completely read and say, I read a book of the Bible, even though it's only three chapters. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for me, that's like, okay, cool. We're going to take some time to really break this down. And um, like you were saying, like Old Testament, I do, I like how it's foreshadowing. And then also there's like, from what I could gather just as I was reading through it, there's definitely some of the like um, language that goes backwards into like the earlier parts of the Bible that you read through. Like there's uh oh, I can't remember the word. Anyway, I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Way, way back in August, I sent Luke's note. So like way back in August when I was when I had the spiritual practices sermon series ready to go, when we had our Advent sermon series ready to go, and I was thinking about what we wanted to do um, in 2021, way back in August, I sent Luke Snowden an email and I just asked him this question. I was like, Hey, shot out of the dark here. Which sermon series do you think our church would benefit most from Habakkuk song of Solomon or Lamentations? So those are the three that I pitched to Snowden and Snowden responded by, this is such a Snowden response. I'm just going to read it word for word. He said, I am never going to suggest that any book would be less helpful than any other. I was like, okay, dude, I get it. And then he said, but... Mr. Seminary degree. (laughs) But, he said, what I love about Habakkuk is is the struggle to accept crappy circumstances in that book. That is my struggle, and so I am always happy to be challenged by it, especially in 2020, ringing in 2021. So for me, that, that, that thought right there kind of forms the backbone of my decision-making for picking the book of Habakkuk. First, we have a tendency to do a long New Testament book, a short topical sermon series, and then a long Old Testament book series. So we just did 1 John, then we did the spiritual practices and Advent sermon series, so I felt like we were due an Old Testament book. So it just kind of fit that framework. And, and second, it you just always have to say that 2020 sucked, and it's possible that 2021 is not going to get any better. And I want our church to see the. I want I want our church to see that crappy circumstances. Not only do they not equal God's absence, but it's actually like the normal experience for the believer when you when you read the Bible. And Habakkuk is a gem for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was you know some people quote and we'll pull things out of Habakkuk and put it on a 
you know, a coffee mug or a bumper sticker. They'll look at, you know, look, I'm about to do something <laughs> among among you that if I told you what I was going to do, you wouldn't believe me. And people are like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. All right, but right. you read the subsequent verses and you're like, oh, this is not awesome. No. You wouldn't believe him if he told you this for a whole different reason. You're, you're going to raise up an entire people to jack us up? <laughs> I was thinking about that last night when I was reading Habakkuk. And I had the thought, if they printed this on a coffee mug and gave it to Habakkuk, he would shatter it. <laughs> God, God says, I, I have plans that you would never believe. And he doesn't go on to say, this is going to be your year. He says, I'm, I'm going to raise up this people group who are going to dominate you and, and be God's judgment upon you. And so, like, not the thing you want on a coffee mug. No, definitely not. Which is so that's why I love whenever we get to go do Old Testament uh, sermon series, because there's... Yeah, we, we would try to read ourselves into it too much and maybe, you know, got scattered with some Old Testament sermons uh, in, in our childhood and not really grasping the context of it and then being able to, uh, you know, appropriately apply it to our lives and see how this, how the Old Testament is a mirror for ourselves to look into to reveal our sin, maybe that we know about or sin that we don't know about. And we see how God is just in his discipline of his people and how God is just in punishing the wicked. Um, so mm-hmm. then those are some big themes that, that come out of Habakkuk. Can, it's cool if you guys can't, but can either of you give kind of like a plot summary of Habakkuk for, for people who are like, I, I don't even know how to spell that, let alone have I read it? Yeah, so you've got Habakkuk, who is a, a prophet, and he... Habby! Uh, old Habby. Habby! Habermeyer! I tried to pitch this name to Tracy for... for uh, No way! Yeah. She, really? She's not down with the prophet names. Oh, okay. She, I mean, she, did she give it like a thumb, a big thumbs a down? A big thumbs down. Okay, yeah. didn't even talk about it. Yeah, it was... Had a girl, Tracy. Yeah. Anyway, um, so you've got this prophet who, you know, if you look in the ESV... It uh, you know, will show like Habakkuk's complaint, the Lord's answer, Habakkuk's seventh second complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have this prophet who is who is um, seeing what is going on in um, in the kingdom of Judah, and you know the people are are not following Yahweh. Habakkuk is seeing these things, um, but um, sorry, I lost my place in my notes here. Um, Oh, yeah, here we go. The book of Habakkuk, it was written during the time where the Chaldeans were gaining significant power. Um, They were a Semitic people uh, living in uh, southeastern Babylonia, modern-day Iraq. Okay, sorry to interrupt. I'm so glad you just said that out loud, because on Sunday, if I had not heard you, I would have called them the Chaldeans. (laughs) In my head, I pronounced the H. That's actually so good for me to hear. That way well, I don't pull another coal. Well, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it's Chaldeans. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, so they're this Semitic people, and they're they're gaining power. Um, they're part of Babylon? Yeah, right? it refers to Babylonians. Um, but so you've got this this nation that is growing, and uh, they're, uh, like as it says in verse 7, they're a dreaded and fearsome people. Um, so it's not looking good. Habakkuk is seeing these things. And he feels like God is, um, you know, distant from him. He's crying out for help, like verse 2 or verse 1, depending on your translation. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So mm-hmm. justice goes forth perverted. And so Habakkuk is so, he's so disturbed by what he's seeing. He's so, like in his gut, he, he feels the, the disgusting nature of what's going on before him. And he feels like God's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. That God yeah. is just, you know, twiddling his thumbs up in heaven and not caring about what's happening to, to his people. He's not, he's not caring about issues of justice and an injustice. Um, he's this distant God who has abandoned his people. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's, it's, I mean, it's just mostly a dialogue, right? For three chapters, it's, it's one complaint, God's answer, a second complaint, God's answer, and then it ends with a psalm, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a, like a prayer of, of praise. After, after an, it's really cool because it's like, it's a, very, it's a very mature dialogue between a believer who's really frustrated with God and God um, giving answers that are even more frustrating than silence. Mm-hmm. It's one of those rare books where like, when you read God's answer, you're like, whoa, God answering my prayers is sometimes actually the last thing I want. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want less of a dose of reality, mm-hmm. and God always invites us into reality, and it's it's a very, very sobering book in in, in that case. Very, very sobering. I don't, like, bes- if you, besides the Psalms, I don't know that we have an extended dialogue like this between God and man that's as long as Habakkuk. Probably Job. Job, yeah, that's Job. what I was going to say. But yeah, the majority of Job is God's response to Job. <laughs> so yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, saying, look, look at all this has happened to me, blah, 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 complaining to, to God. And God says, okay, you, wanna, you want the answers? Well, here you go. Mm-hmm. Gird yourself up like a man for war, and I'm going to give you my response. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't know if you guys, like whenever you, whether you grew up in the church or post-conversion, if you had this thought or you heard people um, tell you, like, you don't complain to God, you don't get angry at your situations, mm. and you need to keep those to yourself, because who are you to talk to God and tell Him about how your life is messed up or how wrong things are, and you feel like God's not answering you or He doesn't care about you? I, I grew up kind of hearing that, not from my parents, um, but, you know, in, in church cultures where where it was like, you can't talk to God like this. I'm like, well, then why is there so much scripture dedicated to people talking to God like this and God having the shoulders to to handle that, right? Um, so that was interesting. So like when you look at this, Habakkuk is doing no wrong in in his complaint of, God, why are, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to our people? Why are you letting these evil and wicked people prosper? Um, <clears throat> definitely there's a good and a bad way that you can go about this, but... Um, I think this is just a, a beautiful example of of dialoguing with God, with the Lord, about how things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And you know that God can change them instantly if if that was his will and intention, but sometimes that's not. And it's okay to say, God, why aren't you making this better? Why aren't you healing this loved one mm-hmm. right now? Why did you let this person die? Why did you let this pandemic come about? Like These things are not what you want to be in reality, but you're allowing this or you're bringing this into reality. Um I think that's a healthy way to to talk with the Lord because he's not going to be like, hey, don't ask those questions, dummy. But he he loves us. And so I think if you, I, I notice in my own life, whenever I, you know, keep those things inside and internalize them, like it just leads me to resent the Lord rather than taking those, my frustrations to him and dialoguing with, with him about those frustrations or these issues of injustice. Yeah. One theologian I read um, who was, who was touching on this, 
um, he 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 talked about how churches sometimes have like the they do a really bad job at helping people see that it's okay to voice your complaint. Not that it's okay, um, but that the the Bible actually models complaining to God. Mm-hmm. And one note that he mentioned that I thought was really helpful is that when when churches create cultures where complaining to God is banned and voicing concerns to God is banned and voicing doubts to God is banned, he made the note that what ends up happening is when we ban those things, we end up leaking it out onto other people. So if we don't voice our frustration and our doubt and our anger and our fear to God, then we end up leaking that onto his people in really unhelpful ways, like onto our wives and onto our kids. And so like what Habakkuk shows us is that the proper context for complaining is prayer rather than just leaking it on people. We have people in our church who struggle with this. Mm -hmm. I've had these conversations. This isn't hypothetical. No. I mean, you know, we tried for quite a while to get pregnant again with, with Abel and it took a long time. And so we would share our frustrations with the Lord withholding this thing from us. And we'd have, you know, there you'll get people say, well, just be thankful for the two kids that you do have, or, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. just pray more, or, you know, maybe this, maybe God doesn't want you to have a third kid. Um, You know, you get this variety of responses and um, Lynn Snowden, uh, like in a moment of wisdom, uh, like talked with Tracy and fighter group and was like, have you lamented about this? And that was so freeing for Tracy to hear that I can just be, look at this and experience the situation and just say that this is inherently bad. Like, this is bad. Like, I want another child, but you're not giving us one right now. Um, I'm sad all the time. I'm frustrated all the time. I want this thing and it's being withheld from me right now. Like, that was so freeing for someone just to say, it's okay just to be sad about this. It's okay to be frustrated that something that you want is not coming to fruition right now. That's perfectly okay. But you have to take that to the Lord, right? Right. Which is what you're just saying. You're not just going out and lamenting to to another human, but you're lamenting to the Lord of saying, Lord, I know that it's good to have children and it's not happening right now. What the heck is going on? Um, So, yeah, I hope that that would be a good outcome from our church in this season of being like, hey, it's okay to be frustrated with what's going on in the world right now or what's going on in your life right now. What's not okay is you not taking those frustrations to the Lord and dialoguing with Him and praying and communing with Him about these frustrations. Yeah, I I think that churches become really relationally unhealthy if they don't have a culture of lamenting in prayer. Um, one reason is because I, I think it's Christ-like. Like, I think Jesus identifies with Habakkuk. His prayer on on the cross is a prayer of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That I mean that that could be the subtitle to Habakkuk. That's that could be the summary prayer of Habakkuk. So I think Jesus identifies with Habakkuk. But more than that, um, when we have a healthy church, we're not perfect, but we have, we mostly have a healthy church. But in rare instances where where I hear uh, somebody in our church gossip about another person, I immediately think oh, this is the first time they're having this conversation. They have not lamented to the Lord about this thing. Because if they did, then they wouldn't be sharing this with me or they would be talking with this person first. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, like we've been saying, like I think churches are, they just get way healthier when they look at Habakkuk and they're like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. So, but uh, it sounds like my kids are lamenting. Up to they, <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that in the podcast, but... Um, that is Habakkuk out there. <laughs> wow. 
feel like we should pause uh, it and I should go help. Um, do you do you identify with Habakkuk, Donafro, or yeah. is it hard for you to do that? No, I I think sometimes I might lament and continue to lament and then forget that there can be an end to the lament. And so, like, I'm just complaining. I find mm. myself complaining a lot. And I don't think it's bad to pray to the Lord and lament. I think that that in this, though, reading through to the end, there is, like, a light at the end of the tunnel with with that because mm-hmm. he he rejoices. He, he definitely makes a point to say, like, there's still bad things happening, but my strength is with you. And, and I think that in the lament, like if we are still mindful to like, remember that he is with us and he is our strength, even in the frustration, the struggle, I think that that like gives hope for the end of the season that we may be in that like, Oh, he was with me even through these, these times. And now I can rejoice in him walking away from this. Like, thank you, Jesus, that you're still with me, even in the midst of all of those things that were happening to me. So, um, that's that's like one thing that I take away from it. I even take away that from this past year. Like, like, yeah, it was yeah. it was the worst. It was terrible. It was yeah. it was rough. Everything was a struggle. But I have I have my my beard's turning gray. Yeah, there's like, there's stress. I, yeah, I can't I can't believe it. Somebody pointed <laughs> that out to me the other day, and I looked, and it was like not a stray gray hair, mm. like. It's yeah. turning gray. I was like, I'm still a young man. Gosh darn it. Yeah. Oof. But I look, I don't know. I, I also looked at 2021 and I'm given this sense of hope for the year that I I hope I can at least impart in how I interact with people because I don't want to think that this year is going to be terrible like last year was and... I want to do everything I can to make it not that way. And like, hopefully just through even like this kind of a thing, like lamenting with the Lord, like, Lord, this is not fun. This is hard rather than sharing it with someone next to me who I, you know, this is the first time I've talked about it rather than going to the Lord. Maybe since I've gone to the Lord and lament, I can sit and talk to this person next to me throughout the year with, with a conscience that is, I've lamented the Lord. I can actually impart hope and like maybe some, a spark of joy in this person's life that I may not have before. So that actually gives me a lot of excitement, even going through this and like hearing all the context of what this is, this book is going to be for our church. Like maybe that's something that we, we can use at the beginning of this year to fuel a year that's full of joy and hope in a different light than other people may be living it. Mm. So yeah, yeah, that's good, man. Can we can we keep trying to pin down Habakkuk's character and whether or not you guys identify with him? Like, is there like as a person, is there anything about him that you relate to? Is there anything about him as a person that you find compelling? He's kind of a nobody. Kind of a nobody. That's going to be the name of my first autobiography. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I think I can relate with certain elements of Habakkuk, and then I see things in him that I want to ascribe to. Just his, like him bringing complaints, but then also being hopeful. You know, he, after 
you know, during his second complaint, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what will I, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Like, so there's this, he complains to the Lord, the Lord responds, he complains again, and there's this wait for the response. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm definitely more of a, a pessimistic person, um, naturally by nature, uh, naturally by nature. Yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> and that's an area where God is uh, uses some of that to be more cautious when I need to be cautious. But I think there's a sinful side of my of that um, character characteristic um, of, of of pessimism being characteristic of me um, that I I want to be able to look at bad things and say that they're bad, but not just uh, stay there and be like, well, things are never going to change. It's always yeah, going to be bad. Yeah. There's always going to be something worse that's around the corner. But I, I want to be someone who can bring my complaints to the Lord and be honest with Him, listen and wait and listen for His response, but also know that, um, like, we're not just waiting for another earthly kingdom to, to to retake power. We're waiting for Jesus to come back and to unite heaven and earth, where God's pure and uninhibited rule and reign will be all, over all of the earth. Um, <clears throat> and so that. I, I think that's something that God's been doing in me over the past year and a half, two years maybe, of like of just chiseling away at my hard heartedness of you know keeping things to myself or just complaining and never being hopeful. I think this book is 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 good for people who um, struggle with depression and what does it look like to be a person of joy who struggles with chronic depression um, or a chronic illness. Like you can live a life that that um, is filled with chronic pain or chronic depression or chronic frustration or isolation and still be a person who is hopeful, who has joy that's, you know, not dependent on circumstances. Like we see that through yeah, like yeah. in the ending and his, his hymn at the end of, uh, of this short book is all this stuff is bad, but I will still rejoice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that's something that the Lord's been teaching me a lot recently of like, okay, and I was just talking with someone about this a, a couple of weeks ago of, you know, um, uh, someone who has been, been struggling with depression as a result of the pandemic and isolation. And it's like, maybe, maybe the one thing that you can hold on to and be joyful in is the fact that Jesus is coming back. Maybe there's not a lot yeah, in life yeah. that's going good for you, but at the end of the day for the Christian, there's always something to hold on to. And that's the fact that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, his kingdom will be one of everlasting peace and justice. Um, So we see Habakkuk, you know, clinging to this, (laughs) that the, you know, that there may not be any fruit. There may not be even be blossoms or leaves, Mm -hmm. um, but we can still rejoice because we know who is in control. Yeah. You know, one, one theologian talks about how, um, here, let me let me get it out. Actually, um, it's, it's a, a Syrian theologian. He made the note. I didn't know this, but um, he made the note that it's very likely that the name Habakkuk is derived from a word that means basil, like a like a basil plant. Um, you know, and a, a basil plant like in the middle of winter appears dead and a, and appears to be fruitless and appears to have wasted. And then when the time is right, when the season is right, it'll it'll flourish again. And he seems to think that that's a the name Habakkuk is a hint of what's going to happen in 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 this book that mm-hmm. things are going to appear hopeless and dead and like the middle of winter and then maybe we'll see a blossom at the end, which is actually that's the whole narrative arc of these three chapters. 
Um, so I don't know. I thought that was kind of a cool note. Um, but you, you talked about how like, you know, the whole earthly leadership thing, we're not just in a place where we're waiting for the right earthly leadership. Um, it doesn't matter whether you think Trump is a good leader or a bad leader and whether you think Biden's going to be a good leader or is a bad leader. That doesn't matter to me. Um, no matter what, where you fall on the political spectrum, um, things are turbulent with leadership right now. Things were really turbulent for leadership during Habakkuk. Are you guys kind of familiar with what's going on in the leadership transitions in Habakkuk's life and politically in Habakkuk's life when this was written? Can either of you guys speak to this a little bit? I've, I've, got a few, I've got a few notes on this. You're scrolling for it, Andrew. But I mean, no matter what you think about uh, Trump-Biden, this should ring a bell for us. Mm. It, should, it should strike home for us. Yeah, you've got these <laughs> Israel like God is he's raising up the Chaldeans because of Israel's poor leadership. Their kings are oppressing the people. Right. Like, that's what God is raising up this he's growing this kingdom to come in and punish his people. Like it's like one one way to think about it is God is there's this covenantal lawsuit between God and Israel. Mm-hmm. And God is saying Israel, you've been unfaithful and because of the or Judah, you've been unfaithful and because of this, I'm raising up a people to come in and put put the kings to shame, to put these rulers to shame. The ones who are, you know, they, they're eating well and they're oppressing the poor man. The, the ones who are forsaking the, the allegiance to Yahweh and are seeking their own allegiance or they're, they're constructing idols or they're looking to other nations for political gain or political might. And God's saying, I'm going to punish you for this. And so you have all these people who are going to be going to be murdered, who are going to be tortured, who are going to be enslaved, who are going to be exiled because, because the, God's people were being unfaithful. They were not holding up their side of the covenant. And so Habakkuk knows that this is what's, going, this is what's happening. He's looking at the wickedness of his own leaders, right, right. and he's seeing that God is raising up the Chaldeans to come in and to, to cleanse Israel, to cleanse God's people. And what, uh, what kind of adds insult to injury and what I think is really painful is that the king, right before the king who rules and reigns when Habakkuk is writing this book, which is, um, I, I don't even know how to say this guy's name, uh, Jehoiakim? Jeho- Jeho- um, J-E-H-O-I-A-K-I-M. He's the current king. Um. So he, he, he's the guy that you're referencing, which mm-hmm. is really bad, bad, bad leadership, reinstituting idolatry, breaking covenantal faithfulness to Yahweh, um, breaking God's law, you know, every, everything that's bad about poor leadership, this dude embodies. But what adds insult to injury is that the king right before him was awesome. Josiah. Yeah, Josiah was right before this dude. And like, Josiah was a baller, man. He's... He's the dude who rediscovered the law in the temple mm-hmm. and reinstituted it and, and banished idolatry, brought back the law to God's people so that God's people were spiritually flourishing, right? Everything was going good. And then he was killed by an Egyptian king, and the guy who takes over is horrible. Mm-hmm. So they're like in a really bad leadership transition right here. Uh, it's so turbulent yeah. when, when Habakkuk wrote this. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and you see God, he, yeah, he'll, he'll punish his people by raising up, by allowing wicked leaders to take place, and then he punishes those wicked leaders. And, and because the, the kings are the, you know, the, <clears throat> in a way they are the, um, 
they are charged with upholding the covenant between Yahweh and Israel. They're they're the the point man on this. And so, if the king is wicked, then the kingdom is going to be counted as wicked. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. If you and if you're a faithful follower of Yahweh and you're seeing your nation unravel because of 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 a wicked king um, flinging the people and the kingdom into idolatry and into um, into you know adultery. Um, that's got to be so heartbreaking to see this taking place. And I think we can look at, you know, this past season where um, nominal Christianity has has died a, a, a good bit. Like, yeah. People are like, oh, you know what? It's it's kind of, uh, I like sleeping in a little bit later on Sunday mornings. Oh, you know what? I like, mm-hmm. you well, know, the church isn't doing anything, so I'm not going to continue to give tithes and offerings to the Lord so that this church can move forward with its mission. And so... <clears throat> So like I'm seeing this and knowing some of my friends who have fallen away from from the Lord or fallen away from the church, and I, I'm seeing this and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, man. Like there are gonna be so many churches that are gonna gonna shut their doors this year because of what all took place last year. Or you've got churches who have not gathered in person or who've just been phoning it in with you know a live stream since March. Like there's a crazy stat in the um, you and I. I think I talked to you about this a couple of couple of months ago, but the stats of churches that have not reopened their doors on Sunday mornings for in-person gatherings is like something like 35% in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Like how many people are falling away from the church because the church is not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's what, I think one of the things the Lord has been doing with this pandemic is um, separating the wheat from the chaff, the chaff of like, Okay, let's see who's who's really a follower of Jesus through all of this stuff. Okay, so like, I don't know how I'd answer this question. So it's unfair of me to ask you guys, but I'm going to ask you guys. <laughs> Those are the best questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like setting you guys up. I don't have like an answer. Um, but no matter what you think about COVID, do you think it would be appropriate to read Habakkuk and to wonder, did God raise up COVID as a judgment upon nominal lukewarm Christianity? I don't know if that's the the primary cause of it, but I I think that we'd be foolish to think that this virus has been released on the world and there's no secondary or tertiary implications from it sure, from the, from the sure. Lord's providential hand. That's, that's wise. So I, I I think that I think we've seen you know in our our history as a country with certain presidents, I would say that was God judging our country by giving us wicked leaders who would get us into wars for no reason or yeah. for, you know so yeah. I, I you know. Because you have to ask yourself that question of you know the the two world wars. Why did God raise up and and grow these kingdoms? Why did Hitler become such a powerful person? Because he, he was so wicked. How was he able to mislead all these people into hating mm-hmm. the Jews? Like what what is God doing in those moments? Is he just wanting to kill humans? No, but he's there's something going on behind the scenes of with God's providence and allowing or bringing things into to fruition um, to accomplish His purposes. So I, I read two books on, on COVID. One was by Piper, which was Christ and COVID. And if he were at this table, based on what I read in that book, he would say, yes, it's appropriate for you to think that COVID is God's judgment on this, on this country. And then I read God in the Pandemic by N.T. Wright. <laughs> and Wright says, the, I mean, he says the opposite thing, right? N.T. Wright says, 
it's totally inappropriate for us to say that we know exactly why this is happening. We need to identify with a lot of the psalmists and the prophets and just say, I don't know what's going on here, but I trust you. Mm. Um, And so I read those two books and I was like, I don't know. I find both of them compelling. And I I don't know, but I'm just, I'm just curious, like to what level do we, to what level do we use Habakkuk as a hermeneutic for contemporary issues is a big question. We probably don't have an answer to that, but I, you can't help but wonder when you read Habakkuk. We're not in a theocracy anymore. Right. So so things are different. The implications are different. So now we have to think through, okay, so God's people are not just a, a people group, but is, you know, a, his, <clears throat> an earthly family that has been brought forth by uh, fa- by following Jesus. And so the broader implications of what what is God doing with the pandemic or with suffering or with oppression or with political turbulence to accomplish certain ends within the global church? Because um, they're like the church is, you know, the, the church has been. I've talked with a couple of global workers in the in the past couple of months, and like the frustrations that they've experienced through, um, you know, church planting efforts and mm-hmm. those being mm-hmm. hindered uh, because of social distancing or governments shutting things down, or people ha- having to leave their 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 area of of ministry because uh, things were just getting too hot and heavy there. So um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I think the the probably the, the question that I'm trying to ask is what can I learn from God in the midst of this pandemic? Like, what do I see in myself that's that is a mark of a true Christian? And then what area, like as I've responded to COVID, um, what area of my life am I? Is this revealing sin in my life? Or, or things that are healthy in frontier and things that are, are unhealthy in frontier. Sure, um, yeah. So that's the question I've been trying to ask myself because, yeah, I, I tend to be more into right of we don't know what God's intentions are in everything. I do, I do too. Um, I do too. I'm not going to go piper and, you know, if there's a tsunami, it's because God is judging the wickedness of humanity. Like, right. That's the reason why he, you know, or, yeah. or the, what was it in Indonesia? Like several about a decade ago, or the tsunami killed like two hundred thirty thousand people. Yeah, Piper's on CNN. He's like, "Yep, God did this to judge the sinfulness of man." Yeah, I just don't know that I would say that, man. Yeah, I just don't. N.T. Wright made a really good point in his book that I'd never heard, which is he took the argumentation that happens in Hebrew of Jesus being the final word to his people, and he said Jesus is God's final word to his people, just like the writer of Hebrews says. Jesus is the final warning to repent. Jesus is the final warning to turn back to God. Jesus is the final prophetic word to his people. So everything that happens after Jesus, like we just can't readily interpret like Old Testament theologians would have interpreted. I was I was pretty helped by that. Yeah. That's a, I was pretty helped by that. That's a good word. Yeah. Because God is he doesn't punish his people, he disciplines his people. Right. Um but then also, like so when I when I think of this this pandemic, this virus, natural disasters. I mean, we we had flooding all over the Midwest last year. We had a stinking derecho. I didn't even know what that was until oh, August, gosh, dude. And I yeah. that didn't cause me to be like, oh, this is God punishing us for you know our sins. I, I thought the world is broken. The wind is not supposed to act like this. Like the world is broken. Creation is longing for the return of Christ. It's longing to be made new. Um, but this virus is like. We're not supposed to get sick like this. This was not God's intention for mankind. Right. We were right. we were supposed to be fed and and nurtured by God in the garden. Like none of this is supposed to happen. So the result of you know natural disasters and viruses and 
political unrest is just a reminder that the world is broken and it's longing to be made new. Yeah. I think that's helpful for our church to hear. I, I really do feel like it's helpful for our church to hear because I do think it's unhealthy. I think it's unhealthy to look at things happening in the world and to look at things happening in culture and to look at things like COVID and to look at things in like like tsunamis and to immediately think, what's that mean for my neighbor? Or what's that mean for the people I don't like? Mm. What's that mean for the world? I'm not saying that's unhelpful to wonder that. I'm saying that I think our first impulse should be what Andrew's is, which is not to say, what's this mean for people I disagree with? Or what's this mean for my neighbor? But what's this mean for me? I think that's the real meat and potatoes of events like this. Like The real meat and potatoes has been less for me being like, is this God's judgment for lukewarm Christianity? And the real meat and potatoes has been me asking, what is this revealing about my spiritual life? Oh, my prayer life is way more shallow than it needs to be. Wow, maybe God does desire for me to grow in my prayer life. That does seem pretty consistent with the scriptures. Just helpful, man. Just helpful. What's it mean for me before? What's it mean for the Arminians? Right? Or what's it mean for the megachurches? You guys find anything else? Um, compelling about Habakkuk as a person. This this just says that he may have been under some of the leadership of Zephaniah, Jeremiah, and possibly Ezekiel and Daniel. Yeah, I heard he was contemporaries. With yeah, those dudes. so like to me, that's very interesting. Mainly because, like, even as a church, like you, you just you know you hear those names and you think of you know they're like bigger prophets they're guys that people are like referencing their script the scriptures in those books or if if they have a book and so like i I think like to me it's like oh okay yeah okay that's that's interesting because he had like some heavy leadership as far as prophecy like prophets go like these guys are like and quote unquote big time, I guess, if you want to like think of it that way, like totally, yeah. And and so for him, even after all of the possible leadership that he had over his life through those guys that he was like walking with, now he's at a place now where he's like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Why is this happening? And I'm frustrated, Lord. What? So like, just to think, like. He had a lot of encouragement over the course of his life, and then he gets to this kind of a place, and it's almost like he's struggling with like why the Lord's even acting the way he is. When these guys were prophesying some crazy stuff, and like yeah, yeah, you know, they're probably getting just as much heat as he may have even been getting with some of the people that he was involved with and around. And so, especially since there's like so much going on with leadership changes and great kings and bad kings, and mm-hmm. you know, you're the fall of you've got the fall of Israel and coming there's the fall of Judah that's like right around the corner so you're you're talking like like you said some really turbulent stuff and then to think that he had such a a great model of leadership over the course of his life even though they're not always the greatest guys they definitely followed the lord they were seeking Yahweh every single day of their lives mm-hmm. um yeah. so 
I don't know. It's, it was in, that's interesting to me that he had that, and it's like, oh wow, okay. So. Well, do you guys like? Do you guys wonder why Habakkuk doesn't get the love that his contemporaries get? Like, <laughs> freaking like you, you look up Daniel; it's all over the scriptures, yeah. right? Our other big prophets, like you said, Isaiah, all over the scriptures. Habakkuk is only in Habakkuk. Yeah. What's uh, like? What's what's the deal? Um, like, um, unlike other prophets, we don't know Habakkuk's origin. Unlike other prophets, we don't know Habakkuk's family. Unlike mm. other prophets, we don't know Habakkuk's background. There's no other reference of him in the rest of the Bible. What, like, what's going on here? Do you have any guesses? Self, do you have any guesses? Uh, maybe his name was too hard to pronounce or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've, always, I've wondered about that. You know, like some of the minor prophets I've found really helpful for, for me. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is the case. I mean, to me, that just shows God's, um, you know, his will is he accomplishes his purposes, um, through a variety of, of people. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Some of these, you have minor prophets, like the world is real jacked up and, you know, they've got their little, their, their niche over here and their little pocket of influence over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I have no answers to that. It's, it is interesting though, because you do see some interplay with other prophets yeah. um, in their writings or them, um, you know, quoting other prophecies from, you know, from, from Isaiah and Jeremiah, you see that interplay in their, their writings. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So there are some weird, <laughs> this is probably not even helpful for our conversation, but there are there are some other weird extra biblical references to Habakkuk, even though there aren't any within the 66 books of the canon. Um, like there's one apocryphal book that has Habakkuk sneaking food to Daniel when Daniel's in the lion's den. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what that... That's gangster if it's true. Yeah, like I don't. Yeah, I don't know what that would even teach us about Habakkuk if that was true. But um, it's just it's just weird. I I kind of wondered if I might be reading into this too much, but I almost kind of wondered if um, if God's people feel a sense of shame about the book of Habakkuk, you know, because like it is so grouchy and mm. complainy and whiny. I'm not saying Habakkuk's wrong. We've said the opposite this entire conversation. Um, but I'm saying that I'm saying that it, it could be possible for God's people to for Habakkuk to be kind of a source of shame for them. Yeah, that'd be in- interesting cuz like you think of like Jonah as well of if he if Jonah did in fact write this account, this the book that we have as Jonah it doesn't. It, Jonah looks like a turd. <laughs> looks like a turd. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I wonder. You know, this is. You know, I, I try to think if I was. I mean, it'd be interesting to ask my uh, rabbi friend in town what he would think of when he when he looks at. Mm, yeah, dude. When he looks at um, the prophetic literature and sees Israel's wickedness or Judah's wickedness, like what's the what emotions do they have come up? Is it like because being you know a part of the the people of Israel, like blood. Israelites, um, like, yeah, what is that? This, you know, they're looking at their history and they're like, oh yeah, God, he brought us out of Egypt. And then we made this golden calf and looked like idiots and unfaithful wives. Like what, yeah, what visceral reactions right. do they have when they read this? You know, yeah. if, you, if you, you know, just, if we look at, at Acts and the history of, you know, the early church movement, and then you see them, you know, have these little quarrels and you're like, oh, 
you guys were fighting over circumcision? Like, what's going on? You guys had to have a council to, you know, figure out, do you have to be circumcised or not to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus? Um, so, yeah, but then it looks, you know, then, then we look at, you know, modern American Christianity and you see these pastors who you're following, you're like, oh, those are, that's, those are my people. Those are followers of Jesus and they're acting yeah. like that. Yeah. And then you look at your own life and evaluate and you're like, oh, that's wicked. What am I doing? And you're right to bring up Jonah, by the way. I, I actually thought of Jonah like a handful of times when I was reading Habakkuk and studying because in a lot of ways, Jonah is the upside down prophet. Mm-hmm. What do prophets do? They hear the word of God, see the word of God, obey the word of God. What does Jonah do? He hears the word of God, he sees the word of God, and he disobeys the word of God. So there's this literary tension that's built into the book of Jonah where you're thinking, oh my gosh, he's the upside down prophet. And in that same way, Habakkuk is a punk prophet. So if you think about the role that prophets played in the life of Israel, it was very clear. You read Isaiah, you get this. You read Jeremiah, you get this. You read minor prophets, major prophets, you get this. Their role was very clear. Um, Israel was in on a covenant with Yahweh. And whenever God's people strayed from faithfulness to that covenant, the prophet's job was to step in and to call people back to repentance and faithfulness Mm -hmm. to the covenant. That's what prophets do. That's what you'd expect with Habakkuk. He's going to step in. He's going to call the people of God to faithfulness, to return to the covenant, and that's what's going to happen. That's not what he does. He does the opposite. He's a punk prophet. He steps in and he tries to call God back to covenantal faithfulness by charging God with covenantal unfaithfulness. Mm. That's the opposite of what you think a prophet's going to do. And you're thinking as a reader, oh my gosh, when prophets try to correct God's people for their unfaithfulness, they get murdered by them. There's no way that Habakkuk is going to be able to talk this way to God and not get murdered by God. So there's so much tension Mm. built into this book. Maybe, I think maybe it could be that he's, because I was looking chronologically, it's Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel. And so maybe he's like, and even here in chapter two, verses two through three, like the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time. So like that you've got the people, like he's writing all this stuff down and the God even says like, this is probably not the time for this. And so hmm. then you're thinking like, okay, most likely the time, I mean, if it, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So like you're talking like he's writing all this stuff down thinking to himself, oh my goodness, this doesn't even matter because in like the next two books of the Bible, these guys are going to really lay it out for everybody and people are going to care about what they say and they really don't care what's going on right now from me because you even said so, the Lord. Like the Lord just, you just said to me, write this down. It's probably not going to happen anytime soon and you just need to write it down because I need to have like some kind of, some something that says this happened at this point in time. So then, so then you've got this group of people who are, listening to Habakkuk talk and say these things and they're probably just thinking, this guy's nuts. I don't Mm -hmm. understand why I have to like listen to this and everything's kind of crazy right now. And it's just like totally under the table at that point. And then Daniel and Ezekiel come and just whammo and you've got everything blows up in their face and they're saying these prophecies that are like, 
almost like the golden calf kind of a thing. You know, you're just mm-hmm. you're listening to yeah. it, and the people of the people of God resonate with that kind of a thing because Israel loves idols. So you got Daniel set, like talking Daniel. about this stuff, and so so that I think that maybe has a lot to do with it. Just the fact that he's kind of an under the radar guy because he's surrounded by these huge um, leaders, prophets, really in in Israel that that make a big big ripple effect in the Old Testament through into the New Testament. Because then right after those two, you've got mm-hmm. Jesus coming real quick. Because so. its relationship with the other prophets does kind of read like that, bro. Yeah. Like, it's easy to read Isaiah and to think, you you get them, boy. Like, you you go tell them what's wrong. Like, get, get after them. But then you read Habakkuk and you're like, oh my gosh, is he pointing the finger at God? Because, like, dude, I mean, like, you read this book. I mean, just read it, guys. But you read Habakkuk, and he complains, and God responds. And Habakkuk's second complaint is, are you not the most holy? I mean, he literally says, God responds to him. And Habakkuk says, did I call the wrong number? Is this the wrong God? You're not acting in covenantal faithfulness. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, is he really talking to God like this? It's shocking. Yeah, it's interesting. It's shocking. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Noah, and so God spares Noah and his family, and he tells Noah to build this you know, giant boat. And the people are making fun of Noah all the time. They, all, for the whole time he's you know constructing this, people are scoffing at him like, oh, this dude thinks that it's going to flood over here, that uh, we're all going to you know drown, and he's you know this crazy prepper. Um, and Habakkuk is like, God, he's like, hey... I want you to put this in tablets and I want you to, you know, make it big and so people can see it and run quickly and mm-hmm. get out of here. Maybe they'll be spared from this. But <laughs> but then yeah, then uh, God's uh you know, vision that he gives uh and message that he gives Habakkuk is like, but these people are puffed up and they're mm-hmm. you know, their soul is not upright within them, but the righteous will live by faith. You know, it's, so it's Wait, yeah. Where's, where's that at? Uh, that's chapter, yeah. So he says, "Oh, okay." Yep. So the Lord answered Habakkuk after his second complaint. He says, "Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time; it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay." (laughs) Is is God defending his first response? Because you look at the Lord's answer, and then Habakkuk's second complaint is, "You're wrong." Like God, God, God's first response is you guys are going to die. And Habakkuk's complaint is, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy one, we shall not die. That's Habakkuk saying, uh-huh. no, you're wrong. And so it seems like with that response, God is saying, okay, write it down, bro. Yeah. It's going to go down like this. Yeah. And depending on whenever, um, you date the ministry and writing of Habakkuk, like it was probably 20 years later that this vision came to fruition that the Chaldeans did come up. Okay. And so you may have had these people who were like, oh, this isn't going to happen. Habakkuk, you're crazy. God's right. The Chaldeans aren't going to come in here. That, so this was written about 600 BC and that the fall of Judah happened like 585 BC. Is that pretty close? 586. Yeah. 586. Okay. 640 BC is circa six. Oh, okay. 640 is what this, this says. So it could be anywhere from like, yeah. It could be anywhere from like fifty to ten years. Yeah, of, and then and then you've yeah, got okay. the fall of Judah five eighty six 
roughly. Okay, cool. Then there's probably about a hundred years between the fall of Israel and Habakkuk too. So it's, mm. it's interesting. It's a very mm. intimate book. Like sometimes I think about Calvin and I think like, dude, I would just love to be a fly on the wall in one of mm. his prayer meetings or like Spurgeon. It's like, man, I would love to be a fly on the wall in his prayer closet and just watch him yeah. pray. And with Habakkuk, you get to be a fly on the wall yeah. and just watch a great man of God ball his eyes out mm. and hear a dialogue between him and God. It's actually breathtaking and remarkable. It's just mm. quite the little letter or prophecy, I guess. This is definitely just even talking about this now. Like I'm I'm more excited than I was when we first started the podcast <laughs> just talking about it cuz I don't know. Totally. It gives you like just a, a sense of excitement to continue to dive into it and understand some of like the context of what's being said and why why maybe he's saying these things and how it how it connects to previous prophe- prophecies and um, the future ones to come. So yeah, even yeah, I'm the same. After talking to you guys, I'm like more excited because I've been reading commentaries on it, which is great, but just never hits the road until you have these conversations. Do you guys just kind of in closing, do you guys have any, do you have any hopes for our church 10 weeks down the road after studying Habakkuk together? How do you guys want our church to be different or how do you guys want to be different as individuals? This Habakkuk is a interesting book that I brings back uh, memories for me. Um, and that maybe that I haven't, um, you know, lived out um, in this past year. But I came across this uh, Habakkuk hit home for me. And probably, I think I listened to it in 2011, maybe the beginning of 2012. Um, uh, Matt Chandler at the Village Church did a, a sermon series on Habakkuk. And it was in a season of life where, um, you know, after the recession hit, my dad lost his job. My plans for college were reoriented, um, and I was dissatisfied with things. My dad was dissatisfied with, um, with his, you know, what was what had happened to his career. Career, and I remember uh, Chandler did a, a sermon um, on the the closing of Habakkuk. His you know, the ESV titles that Habakkuk rejoices in the Lord, um, and I, I sent my dad that podcast of of that sermon. And it was really cool for me to talk with my dad about things, both of us being frustrated and discouraged. And, you know, he had way more, you know, being a dad now, like I can't imagine the pressure that he was feeling of losing his job. You know, his kids' mm, yeah. tra- trajectories in life were going to be reoriented. You know, right. the, the big house that they had bought, um, you know, they had to sell it because of the recession. So just having all that weight on his shoulders and probably the depression that he was dealing with, um, so I remember talking to my dad about about this, you know, in verse seventeen. Though the fig leaf, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the mm. Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So thinking about that. Um, you know, I want I want to be able. To, I want to grow in my ability to be able to say, yeah, um, the bank account doesn't look like I want it to. Um, you know, people 
you know, church participation may not be what it is because of a pandemic. Um, fr- friendships and, and relationships may not be what I want it to be right now, but I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And so, and that's what I, I want our church to, um, I, I want us to get to that point of, yes, things are broken, but we rejoice in the, in the God of our salvation. Um, not, you know, that's something that we should always deal with. We should always rejoice in the Lord. Um, but, how much more powerful and how much more of a testimony is it whenever life is suffering uh, and we rejoice in the Lord? Like that's the difference from the follower of Jesus and and the the one who does not follow Jesus is that the the one who does not follow Jesus has no hope in this life or in the life to come. But mm-hmm. the follower of Jesus in the midst of suffering, in the midst of chaos, has a reason to to celebrate. And you can have the worst life possible, but still belong to Jesus, and you have something to hold on to. Um, you have a reason to rejoice. And so I, I feel like, yeah, I just I want our church to be able to have that mentality, that posture of the heart. Yeah, one of our church's goals has always been to be the city's most joyful church. And I think that this coming year, it's more imperative than ever for us to aim for that. Habakkuk is such an awesome example of that. What about you, Donifro? I mean, I just think that going through it, like practicing, like we were saying earlier, practicing lament in times of frustration or struggle is going to be something that I look forward to. Um in the midst of my walk with the Lord this, this year. Um, cause I don't think I did that very well last year. So, um, so I think that that's something, um, that I'm looking forward to. And I, and, and like, just like you're saying, like the city's most joy, joyful church. Um, I agree 100% that this year more than ever, we're probably going to need to, hone in on that and really like bullseye that, that mark on the wall for frontier. And I'm excited that this is kind of the launching place for, for us as a church to, to start, start the year well, um, seeking the face of the Lord and falling on our faces before him, um, crying out and, uh, and then hopefully getting up and, and feeling his presence with us. So we when the elders fasted and prayed and strategized for the the 2021 year, the calendar year, like almost every I think every one of us mentioned prayer. Something about prayer, something about becoming more of a prayerful church, something about seeing our church come alive in our prayer life this last year. And so I hope that Habakkuk gives our church the language that they feel is inappropriate, but's actually godly to express themselves before God. Because mm. I don't know what this next year is going to feel. We just don't know what this next year is going to feel like. But there's there's a good chance that in this next year you won't feel any sense of control. Mm. You'll have no you'll have no control, but you'll always have words. No yeah. one can ever take those from you. Mm-hmm. If you don't have control, I mean, so everybody can take your control from you. But what people can't take away from you are your words. So I want people to look at her back. I can think, oh, that's what I can do with words. I can 
use words to express how I really feel to God with the knowledge that he'll hear me. Mm. Like, wow, that's that's awesome. So prayer, I, I hope our church can pray more like Habakkuk as yeah. after reading Habakkuk. And so. being confident that the Lord hears those prayers. Because I really think mm-hmm. that that's something that even even as a believer growing up, like I prayed and that's mostly just because that's what I was told was part of like being a Christian. You got to pray. But like believing that the Lord hears those prayers and actually considers the words that you're speaking to him and crying mm-hmm. out to him. Yeah. Like that's a big deal because when you can connect with that on on a spiritual level as you're just speaking to the Lord, like that's, I think that changes, that changes everything. Um, so I said too, it's easy to psychologize prayer and there's yeah. nothing wrong with it unless it's the only thing you do. But like you read, or at least I read a lot of people who are like, well, prayer is good for your emotional health because it's always good to have a running dialogue in your head and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Um, but beyond the psychological benefits, what if God hears us? Yeah. You know, and that's what the text teaches, which is awesome. So, um, parting shots. Any words? Anything else for our church, guys? Buckle up. Ah! Getting, getting back in the expositional sermon series seat. I'm excited. Mm. Yeah, it's me too. Good. I'm excited to see how our church is going to grow through this and how, and what the Lord is, you know, I, I would encourage our church members, you know, especially what we do with Saturdays in the Spirit, with like moments where we meditate on the Lord, create space for us to listen to Him. I mean, I would just encourage, as we, for each of us in this church, as we set forth in this uh, Habakkuk series, just ask the Lord to reveal something to you. Ask Him to give you a word for a church member. Ask Him to bring clarity to your life. Ask Him to reveal something to you that makes your affection for Him grow. Um, so I would just encourage you to do that because we, as you guys just said, yeah, yeah. he does listen. Um, and as we are going to be looking at this prophet who demands the Lord give him an answer and he waits and he does not like the answers that he gets from the Lord. Um, but yeah, ask the Lord to reveal something to you because he, he will. I don't know you know, if he's going to reveal it to you in you know, 10 minutes or 10 years, but the, the, he he wants us to approach him like a child approaches a father. He wants us to be that mm, you yeah, know yeah. relentless widow begging for justice from the judge. Um, he wants us to approach him like that. And I don't mean to set I don't mean to start up another dialogue like right <laughs> as we're closing out. But I like that waiting piece. So I'm going to add that to my answer, which is I want us to learn how to pray, and I also want us to learn how to wait because mm. that's so key. When when Habakkuk voices his anger and frustrations and says, "I'm going to stand right here." and wait until mm-hmm. you give me an answer. That's a part of prayer and relationship too, because yes. I think we don't know how to do it. Like, maybe there are people who, who know how to do the prayer part, but don't know how to do the waiting part. And that's really detrimental, because what you see with Habakkuk is, God, I don't like what you're doing. Uh, are you going to do anything about it? I'm going to wait until I get an answer. And maybe what a lot of us modern folks do is, God, I don't like what's going on. I want you to change things. How dare you do this? And I wonder if anybody liked my Facebook post, and you just move on. Mm-hmm. Rather than like waiting with Habakkuk. Yes. So, so prayer and waiting. And I can't wait to worship with you guys on Sunday. I'm psyched now. Peace be with you. And also with you.